Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Well, in the spotlight today, we're putting blockchain, NFTs, the metaverse in the spotlight. Not so much those, but arbitration. Are they ready for this new world that we are going to be living in? Mm, I think the question is, are we ready for it? And when we have disputes, what do we do? What are the legal provisions in place? And how can arbitration or mediation help? Now, over the past few months, tech giants, clothing brands, anonymous individuals, they've all invested hundreds of millions of dollars in the metaverse. Virtual real estate prices have skyrocketed. Have you bought a piece of <laughs> moon land or something? The only virtual thing I have really is Bitcoin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I can't touch it or put it in my pocket, it's not. It really depends on how you look at it, right? And actually, this is only the beginning of the metaverse era. But how can legal concepts created for the physical world protect investors in this new virtual environment? Do we need a new set of laws? Do we need a new set of procedures? Well, we will find out. We'll be talking about arbitration here with Dong partner Withers Cantawong and Chuan Wee Meng, the CEO of Singapore International Mediation Center, joining us on the line this evening. Hello, guys. Hi, Sean hi, and hi, Wee hi, Meng. Hi, thanks for having us today. All right, so yeah, this thanks. is Thank quite you. a Thanks. meaty one, isn't it? The metaverse. A lot of people talking about it, but maybe not very many people understanding it. What many companies are calling ownership in the metaverse, I understand, is not or may not be the same as ownership in the physical world. Break it down for us, guys. I think primarily it's because, you know, uh, the metaverse being the so-called new internet um, involves users from all over the world. It's a truly borderless world. And so I think the starting point is when you're talking about laws, which country's laws are you actually talking about? And that's Mm. not um, an easy uh, question to answer. So when you're talking about rights and legal rights in the metaverse, it is an entire new challenge altogether. And I think um, one way to think about rights or disputes arising from, you know, digital assets in the metaverse is to consider what would be a sensible way um, to resolve such disputes, um, perhaps not in a way that we traditionally think of resolving disputes um, when it comes to, you know, disputes from the real world. So give us an example then. What would be a sensible way? How do you look at it? I would say, you know, and this is where we mean would come in. I would say mediation is definitely something to consider simply because that process of mediation, um, and, and we mean will, will illustrate how flexible it can be, would obviate, you know, the technicalities around, oh, which law is applicable? Which court has jurisdiction? You know, how do I go about asserting my rights under which legal framework? Mm -hmm. To really just go down to what really matters commercially to parties to reach a sensible outcome, I would think. I understand what you're saying about mediation and we'll talk a lot more about that in just a moment. But shouldn't there be proper legal frameworks for such things anyway? How are such issues being managed from a legal perspective currently? I fully agree with the implication of the question. I do think that, you know, we should still be um, having the opportunity to apply classic principles of contract law, classic principles of property law when it comes to transactions around the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I think applying these classic principles would actually assist in the growth of the metaverse in a way because of the clarity and the certainty that, you know, traditional laws would bring. Um, But at the same time, you know, there's an argument that, you know, the traditional principles of law need to evolve and keep up with, you know, the rapid uh, changes in technology. Um, 
mm. just 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 in terms of issues around you know blockchain issues around what it means to own an asset on the blockchain mm-hmm. i think those are very novel questions where sometimes um in you know just having a direct application of classic principles may not give you the answer so will this then dull the attraction of nfts and the metaverse and cryptocurrencies when they are being regulated in such a way and putting into the same or maybe not even the same but pretty much a standard framework where you can control them right i i think increasingly we are seeing seeing uh, decisions from from courts of law um, in various countries which mm-hmm. um, have openly come up with decisions that um, say that non-fungible tokens are indeed um, a form of property that is worthy of protection that people who who invest in nfts mm-hmm. um, do actually have rights that needs to be protected and i think you know that shows that the, the entire debate about whether code is law um, is, is going to be more complex because the decentralization purists who subscribe to the code is law philosophy would always say, well, whoever owns the, 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 the wallet mm. which contains your digital asset is the owner. Right, but that's, mm. that's not necessarily true if yeah. you apply the classic principles of law. Also, I do know that some platforms have their own terms and conditions. And even though you might own the NFT that came with your digital purchase, you may not legally own or possess the digital asset. So there are all of these irregularities, all of these concerns that I'm sure that a lot of consumers have and a lot of misconceptions as well. So while all of these things are being worked out, and we'll probably circle back to this particular issue of having Having the laws catch up with technology, let's talk about the merits of mediation here. Perhaps give us an example, we Ming, of how something complex like this was handled through mediation. Oh, thank, thank you. Um, maybe we'll just get um, Sean later to talk about his case that came up in the High Court on the board aid. But right now, perhaps we look at uh, mediation as an alternative to the traditional way. The traditional way of the court, the arbitration, is still important. So, if, for example, in the case that Sean did, um, he had an injunction that protects the rights of parties. But meanwhile, what the rights are being protected, how do you resolve such an issue, which is actually transnational? You, you may not mm. even know who owns it, who is in dispute, uh, who are the parties who are perpetrating this, uh, this wrongdoing, etc. So what mediation tries to do is that it, it works together with the traditional way of court, the arbitration, to see if the parties can come together to find a commercial resolution that is based on legal principles. Don't get me wrong. Legal mm. rights are still important. But in addition to the legal rights, are there interests of parties that can be drawn out that, that, that works over and above the, the commercial and uh, legal rights. So, for example, for example, um, we've had cases here in mediation where parties say, you know, um, we, we don't really have the luxury of time to have this matter resolved in court that may take a year, two years because of the value of, uh, of the, the cryptocurrency. For example, if you had a dispute on lunar coin, say, mm-hmm. in January, <laughs> you may think you own a lot of money, but <laughs> no guess <more> value. what? <laughs> it's of no more value. So in, in law, we have this phrase that's been adopted by the commercial world. Time is of essence, right? Time is of essence in a lot of things. But in the crypto world, time is of essence with essence in capitalized form, right? It is so much more critical because of the daily fluctuation of the value that you have, the, the, the set of rights that you have, how do you enforce it? So in mediation, it allows you to do this quickly uh, instead of uh, two years or, or whatever time it takes. Mm-hmm. It, it can be done in a month. Mm. It can be done in weeks so that the parties can come together to resolve this issue. And we've seen um, stakeholders coming together to say, let's, let's 
consider the legal rights, but also let's consider the commercial realities of what we're... Mm. So I'll just give you one example, right? So, for example, for an NFT, of course, you can fight over it. But the question is, can you divide this NFT in a creative way that can allow different parties to use it? Can you look at the time use of it? Can you look at the geography? Can you look at the industry? Can you look at variations of it that perhaps can be split in some way that allow parties to find a creative way to 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 to, to really resolve this issue that they have before them rather than fight it out over time? And guess what? It may be worthless down the road. So I, I know that Sean did the one with uh, Board 8. So the question is, can the Board 8 be, be revised in a certain way? You know how Andy Warhol does his, uh, mm. his, his colour painting and the right. different palettes and all that. Can that be, can it be varied? Instead of a Board 8, can you have a Board 8 that's dozing off? Can you have a dog Board 8 that's laughing? So all these creative solutions to try to help parties to find different pathways to resolve their issues. Sean, maybe you could tell us just a little bit more about the Bored Ape Yacht Club NFT and what you had to deal with considering that the laws in this arena aren't very clear. Yeah, thanks for that. So, you know, apparently this um, Bored Ape Yacht Club uh, NFT series is a limited edition series um, that has only 10,000 unique pictures of um, different bored-looking apes and, you know, <laughs> the likes of Madonna and, and Justin Bieber have spent millions on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it so happened that, you know, we have the is in the Singapore courts um, where um, we we needed to uh, freeze um, one uh, NFT, one bought it NFT to prevent the counterparty from selling it um, until um, ownership has been resolved. And I think what is interesting um, is that, you know, many people obviously have a lot of different perspectives or, around uh, an NFT. Some people who are more technologically inclined might be, might be, uh, might just say that, look, an NFT is just numbers on the blockchain. It's just code and information. What's so special about it? Mm. Whereas other, other people would say, and, and I think most of my family and friends would take this position, which is, what is so special about NFT when I can just print screenshot it and share it with my friends over WhatsApp. Like mm. anyone can enjoy a picture, right? So that's right. So I think what the case um, represents uh, in terms of the decision from the Singapore High Court is that um, as a matter of law, um, NFT is indeed a form of property, a form of digital asset that is worth protecting, mm. right? So that's clear. And, and we, I think that's um, very aligned with a recent case law from England, uh, Lavinia Osborne against unknown persons and, and open sea, which which came to the same conclusion as well. Mm. So I think um, you know all all over the world. I think. You, you will begin to see more and more cases like this. The thing is, if you talk about individual consumers or individual investors going up against large companies, mm. I think laws really need to be made clear, even though mediation might be an option. So we talked earlier about how laws really have to be looked into in order to catch up with all of these developments. Even jurisdiction is an issue, right? So does a judgment in Singapore apply to an NFT that, you know, whose jurisdiction you really can't determine or a deal where it's not clear because the world has become so borderless. So what do you think needs to be done at this point to get the laws up to speed so that it's just so much easier to get through this? And I'm sure that with the backing of the law, even mediation becomes easier because people then know that, okay, there are certain boundaries I can't push because it won't even be legal to do so. Yeah, I I think... Hey, you talk about arbitration. I think, you know, with the collapse of the uh, Terra Luna token, I think we are looking globally um, at, you know, the coming wave of 
increased regulatory oversight. So I, I won't be surprised. Uh, indeed, more regulations come out over the uh, the use of uh, crypto assets. You know, whether you're talking about um, virtual land in the metaverse, um, NFTs or, or cryptocurrency, I think we will be seeing um, more regulations around that. Um, but in the meantime, I think, you know, based on the current framework at where, where we are at, um, court decisions continue to, um, you know, play an important role to provide guidance. Um, and, you know, re- the disputes would need to be resolved um, in a coherent way, even if they involve elements from different countries. And I think um, international arbitration would be one way to resolve such disputes, given that an arbitration award um, is internationally enforceable in over 150 countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but likewise, um, the international enforceability of a mediation agreement um, cannot be underestimated as well, because now we have the Singapore Convention on Mediation. And as we speak, um, 55 countries have signed on to it and 10 countries have ratified it. All right. A lot of things to explore and talk about this topic. We'll need more time for it, but we're running out for now. Thank you very much, Sean and Chuan Wee Meng for joining us. Sean Leong is partner with Withers and Katar Wong and Sean Wee Meng is with the Singapore International Mediation Center, the CEO there. You're listening to Primetime here on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcast at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.